0: So, good morning, everyone. Praise God for the leading this morning as we heard the thoughts coming of a risen Christ. Praise God. Christ is risen. Amen. So, uh, we've been going through the book of uh, Acts and, uh, you know, usually uh, this uh, it's a schedule. So, my name has come up at this time. You know, so generally, uh, if it's an Easter message, usually the top brass comes, you know, the ones who are very uh, eloquent, the ones who are uh, very good at speaking, the ones who, you know, in the resume of Greek is there, it's an added bonus. Uh, the bishop usually, you know, the top brass, unfortunately, you don't get any of that today. So I'm sorry about that. It's just me today. Okay, a quick recap of... Uh, And it goes, yeah, so uh, the quick recap is uh, from the book of Acts is the first chapter we looked at was Jesus tells us there's a promise of the Holy Spirit. I know the promise of the Holy Spirit was that once I go, the helper or the comforter would come and be with you forever. And in Acts chapter 2, we actually see the coming of the Holy Spirit. We see the Holy Spirit coming on the day of Pentecost, residing on the disciples at that time. And the promise is that it will be with all of us, whoever receive our Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, we have the Comforter, the Advocate who is with us forever. And then when we move to Acts 2, the second part, we see Peter, you know, this guy who is a stammerer, who is not very confident, suddenly gives this powerful speech. And in that powerful speech, he says, our Lord Jesus Christ is alive and that we should repent and believe in Him. And because of this, because of the boldness in what He, in how He speaks, 3,000 people repent on that day, are baptized immediately, and come into the fold. And then when we move to the next uh, chapters, you know, in chapter 3, this theme is going again, you know, uh, it's about repentance, and to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, to trust in Him. And then we see some persecution coming, right? Pressure from the outside world. And that is prayer for boldness. It's time to pray for boldness. For us to look at our Lord Jesus Christ for boldness, to speak the gospel. And you know, it escalates. It escalates from just threats to flogging. I'll just read Acts 5 verse 40. Acts 5 verse 40 says, They called the apostles in and had them flogged. And they ordered them not to speak of the name of Jesus. Do not speak of this name, Jesus. But, you know, they let them go. In 42, immediately, day after day, in the temple and in the courts and house to house, they never stopped preaching and proclaiming the name of Jesus. The good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And this was the early church. Last week we saw about church growth pangs. We saw how... When the church grows, how enormously it grew in those days, there were problems. And because of that, they, they said, you know, we need to be more responsible. We need to be a unified church. And they divided responsibilities. In Acts 6, verse 3, we see it says, And so, brothers, select seven men who are well respected and full of the spirit and wisdom, and give them this responsibility. And you know, there, right there in verse 5, Stephen is chosen. So, Stephen is chosen, and Stephen is chosen, and he's the first to be chosen in verse 5. So, we'll see more about Stephen in the next two chapters. Chapter 6 and 7, he is the main hero, he is the main person. Okay? We're going to look at the life of Stephen now. What are his qualifications? We see it in Acts six and verse three, Acts six verse three, is that he is a man of good reputation. Even before that, last week we saw he is a Hellenist. He is a Greek-speaking Jew. Now he is not the original Jew. He is not the main guy in the main area. He's come from outside, right? He's from across the river or somewhere from North Africa. We don't know where exactly, but he is not an Israelite per se, but he is a Jew. Nevertheless, he is now following Judaism and now, as we come to see, he has become a Christian. Now the term Christian hasn't come about yet, so we'll call him a follower of Christ. And this is Stephen. And when he is chosen, we see in Acts chapter 6 and 3, two main qualifications they are looking for, which is a man of good reputation and full of wisdom. And when, when Stephen is called out, we see very specifically it says, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. So this is an additional characteristics we see in Stephen. What was his role? He was called for what? He was called to just serve tables. Now this is quite a good profile a good resume for someone who has to serve tables. Nevertheless, he did serve tables. That was his primary job. His job was not to teach. That was not his primary job. It was not to teach. It was not to do wonders or signs or miracles. None of that. You are called to, teach, called to serve. right? Because we see in Acts 6 verse 4, if you look at Acts 6 verse 4, this was done so that the apostles could give themselves continually to what? To prayer and ministry of the word. right? So that was the apostles' role. Stephen was the first person who went outside his job description and we see that in the next verse. We'll see what he does, right? He was a man of action. He not only had those characteristics, he wanted to do things. And we see in Acts 6 verse 8, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, not his own power, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, that he does great wonders and signs. He does great wonders and signs. And because of that, in Acts 6 9, we see people started disputing with him. And who are these? These are folks from the synagogue, right? They started disputing with him. And we'll get into that more in detail later, but a little more on what he does. He doesn't hold back. He continues to speak. He's full of the Holy Spirit, and that's not that doesn't make him sit in a corner. He speaks. He speaks with the strength of the Holy Spirit. And we know that when he speaks, he's obviously sharing the gospel. He's obviously saying, Christ is risen. The, the one you killed is risen. And because I have faith in him, I too will rise. And I will be with him. And all this does not go well with them. If you go, we'll, we, As I said, we'll go through this passage again. But one more aspect is in Acts 6 verse 15. You see that as he's fers- facing this persecution, as Jonathan read... His face is calm and composed. There is no stress. His face is like that of an angel, is shining. My question to each one of us and to myself is, can we ponder on these characteristics and qualities? Can we have these qualities? We can inculcate these qualities. We can be of good reputation. We can build up our life to have a good reputation. And it is not difficult, right? It's easy for one's character to be destroyed in a few seconds, but it takes time to build one's character. Wisdom, reading of the word, investing time in studying the word, we can build on our wisdom. We can build on our faith as we learn more about God and who he is. When we do not suppress the spirit because of our sin, we will feel the Holy Spirit within us. And obviously, as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we can do much for Christ, and we can be also a man or woman of action. Now, let's go to the next uh, next slide, and we see here that Stephen is then accused of blasphemy, and we see in that in that verse nine, you know, in this there's a synagogue of freedmen, and this is not one synagogue; it's from many synagogues. People are coming together, okay. These are from North Africa, Serene and Alexandria. These are two cities in North Africa. From Asia Minor, we have Sicilia and Asia, the two uh, regions there. And uh, Saul from Tarsus is from Sicilia. And you will see Saul also in the story shortly. And these are all Hellenistic Jews, Greek-speaking Jews, just like Stephen. But... They are all slightly different from different areas. They all speak Greek, but they may have a different cultural background, a different linguistic background. But here, you see in verse 9, they are all coming together to oppose this one guy. He is so filled with the Holy Spirit and on fire that they all need to get together to oppose him. They argue with him, verse 9. Opposition rises and they argue with him. In verse 10, they start debating with him. Now, a small argument has now grown into a full-fledged debate. And I'm sure, you know, being one guy versus the many, he has to attend to many questions, many concerns. And he pulls it off. We see here that they could not take it. They could not take it. They are not, verse 10 says, they are not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. They cannot resist his points. And I'm sure that what he's saying is there is resurrection in Christ. My Lord Jesus Christ, who you killed, is alive. And that will definitely cut them. That will definitely cause problems for them. Now, they're not able to counter these points. So what do they do? You know, they slowly murmur and, you know, it escalates a bit. They're murmuring within them. So as he's trying to debate with someone here, they're murmuring there and say, Hey, you know what? Let's say that he's blaspheming God. That's the best way to get this guy. Let's say he's blaspheming Moses. He wants to change the rules. Let's put all this against him. And that's what they do in verse 11. Not only that. Now it's only here, right? They escalated even further. They say, hey, let's go call the scribes and the rulers. Now it's getting legal. So earlier it was a small fight, you know, know, on the roadside. If you see two people arguing with each other, it's, it's common, right? In Bangalore. But you know, if it escalates and they really like grab each other's collars, then you know it's escalating and then everyone's phone is out. Right? So this is escalating. Now it's going to the police station. Right? They now know that once it goes to the scribes and elders, it's becoming a legal battle. Verse 12. Once they had stirred up the elders and the scribes, they drag him to the Sanhedrin. Your Bible may say council or chief council. It's the same. It's the Sanhedrin, which is the high council of the Jewish system. And this is where the the chief priest sits and many legal people sit, people from high political background, all from a Jewish background. And now once he is there, they accuse him. Now there's an actual false accusation of blasphemy. And the accusation is, this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses has handed us down, and you know, as you, as a per, a person from a who knows the Jewish customs and the and the laws, you know that means immediate stoning. There, in Leviticus twenty three, it's clear that if you do this, it is a quick death to stoning. You cannot say sorry. There is no. There's no uh, resolution to it. It's immediate death. And imagine if we are there and we are faced with this. I don't know what I would do. I would be angry. I would be furious. I would I would probably try to run out of there because it's not my fault. I'm not at fault here. But you know, when we see, we are, I already touched on it, but when we see the face of Stephen, his face shone as an angel. Verse 15. It shone as bright as an angel. And you know, where where have you seen this before? Apart from Christ. Whose face shone bright like that? The face of Moses. When he came down from Mount Sinai after meeting the Lord God. And they know this. They know this. They know that when a face shines like that, there is something really sovereign happening here. And instead of pausing and understanding that Stephen is like Moses and not against Moses, they still do not relent. And in Acts 7 verse verse 1, we see the high priest doesn't exonerate him or doesn't say, you know, all this is false. I don't see that on his face. Just let him go. He says, is this so? Are these things so? And uh, this morning, Benji spoke about, about Caiaphas who put our Lord Jesus Christ finally to death. And this is most probably Caiaphas. What is Stephen's response? His response, when he is faced with blasphemy against God, his God and Moses, which is punishable by death, Stephen responds with the longest sermon in Acts. This is the longest sermon in Acts. He spoke powerfully as he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Stephen knew that nothing is going to change their mind. He knew that this was his opportunity to share about who God is and who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And it was important enough that the Holy Spirit made Luke write this all down. And it, is, it could be longer than this. We don't know, but it's possible. But uh, the entirety of it is written. And you know, Stephen never responds to their question directly. He is not addressing their concerns at all. All he says is, Israel has been rebellious from the beginning. You have been rebellious against God. And he also reminds them that you, in fact, by doing this, are breaking all the laws known in the Jewish world because they are bringing false testimony against him. They are doing so many things wrong in that situation. And he also reminds them that you killed the righteous one. You put him on a false trial and you killed the Messiah who came to save you. It's a a message of repentance. Message of repentance to who? To people who are going to put him to death. And you know, the Sanhedrin is listening to all this. Next week we will go through the entire sermon of uh, Stephen. You know, it's a long sermon. There's lots to learn from it. But this week we'll only concentrate on his life his short life which we have here and you know in 54 when the sanhedrin heard this they were cut to the heart what did what is this when they heard this you know it's a very important point because you know the sanhedrin and these jewish folks uh, who put jesus to death they have a they have a trigger phrase which really triggers them whenever the apostles say this and that is the son of man who you put to death because they don't. They they feel guilty about it, one and two. They do not consider him God, and you keep repeatedly saying this. He is not God. We did not kill God. How can we kill God? And for them, this really irks them. You see, in uh, in Acts uh, seven, if we turn to Acts seven, and verse fifty-two, we'll read from fifty-one actually. This is the final part of his sermon and he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one. Of whom you are now become betrayers and murderers. You are betrayers and murderers of the Holy One, the Son of God, the Messiah, who have received by the law, by the direction of the angels, and have not kept it. You yourselves have not kept the law. You know, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And that's what verse 54 says. And they gnashed their teeth. And they wanted to really get him. And they did. You know, we know that he was stoned to death. But before we get there, what is death? What do we know about death? You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty six that death is the enemy. Death is the enemy. Death is not our friend. There is nothing nice about death. You know, God created us to be in His image. He wanted to have fellowship with us forever. He wanted us to be in communion with Him forever. For us to understand who He is. For us to appreciate what He has done for us. And this was supposed to be forever. But you know what what Adam did. We all know how Adam fell. And because of that first sin, sin entered the world. And because sin entered the world, death entered the world. For the wages of sin is death. And it is only logical that because of this, death spread to all men. Romans 5.12 says that sin and death came through Adam. Death spread to all men because all sinned. So death, you know, it, it's ugly. It's it's not it's not pleasant. It's not natural. It's not go- in God's original plan, but God, through the gospel, has reconciled us. Has brought victory over death, and that is what we celebrated yesterday. You know, in the Easter uh, Easter program, when we called all our friends, we shared that joy with our friends. That our Lord Jesus Christ is risen. He has defeated death, and because of that. We too, those who believe in him, have the same resurrection in death. First Corinthians 15.21 says, Just as death came into the world through a man, that is Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, that is Jesus Christ. Just as everyone dies because all be- belong to Adam, however everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life will be given a renewed life. You know, the scripture continues to tell us that Christ is risen. And because He is risen, and because we belong to Him, those of us who belong to Him, we have eternal life in Him. I'll just continue to read from 1 Corinthians 15, few more verses to help us understand about death and Christ's victory over death. First Corinthians 15, 54-57 says, Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For sin is, is the sting that results in death. The sin is the sting that results in death. But thank, thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, some of you may be sitting here and thinking, what am I talking about? Why am I saying that there is victory over death? Some of you may be wondering what would happen after your death. You may be still confused and not sure. You may be unsure what will happen after I pass away. You know, we sang that song, that rugged cross is our salvation, where Christ's love poured over each one of us. For those of us who believe in our Lord Jesus Christ, we, we know and we believe that our Lord Jesus Christ died on that cross for you and for me, for your sins and my sins. And those of us who believe in that, we have eternal life in Him. Because He has paid the price for my sin. He has paid, paid the price for my death. And because of that, and because my Christ is risen, as we as we saw so many points this morning, our Lord Jesus Christ is risen. And we we too will arise with Him. He has rescued us and stood in our place, and I urge you, if anyone doesn't still understand this, do you know, to come and talk to me or to anyone here, so we can share the joy we have on how we have been resurrected with Him. Now, believers, you may be wondering, yeah, we know all this. We know that death is there is victory in death, there is uh, there is eternal life, but hasn't death changed the horror? The 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 victory over death changed the horror over death. Now there is no horror over it, right? There is no there is no anguish or pain. Now we have victory, and we have eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that sufficient for us to to push forward for His ministry? And this is what this belief is what Stephen had. You know, Stephen didn't have any uh, writings on death and afterlife and all of that prior to this. All he saw is Lord Jesus Christ who was risen. And that's what he believed. And his only example was Christ. And that is how he went forward. Let's look at uh, verse uh, 54 onwards. And remember I said in verse 52 how how they said about killing of the Holy One and how it irked them. When the Sanhedrin heard this, they were cut to heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, but he, But Stephen, even though he knows that they are getting more and more angry, he does not relent. Being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazes into the heaven and sees the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Imagine you see that. You know your time is up. And that is what Stephen knows. He knows that he is given this sermon to to nail the final nails into his own very coffin. He knows that Lord Jesus Christ is ready to receive him. Verse 56, he tells this to them. Now he's only seen it, but now he tells them this. And remember, I said, when they hear this phrase, Son of man, they cannot take it. In verse 56, he says, And he said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of man standing at the right hand of God. The Son of man, the Messiah, the one that they killed, is standing at the right hand of God, they cannot take that. You know, they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ear. You know, we see that Stephen, you know, his his face is reflecting God. He is calm and composed. The Holy Spirit is with him. And he knows that his time is coming up. He gives a powerful statement to them, letting them know that he they are the ones who killed the Messiah. And he knows his time has come. And he knows that he is going to be stoned. And you know, in 57, they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ear, ran at him in one accord. Now, they're in the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin has not passed any ruling that he has to be stoned. This is now moved into mob violence. Because the people take things into their own matter. Once they hear it, they just take him off outside the city to be stoned. And when they go outside the city, they take off their clothes and lay it at the feet of this guy named Saul. Now, I scratched my hairless head for quite some time trying to understand why they took their clothes off. But then I eventually learned that stoning a person is hard work. You know, one stone will not do it. A mob has to really pelt a shower of stones to take a person's life. And that is what this this mob had to do. It was hard work. And as they would work in the field, they took off their tunics, their heavy tunics, and they went to work on him. Multiple stones were thrown at him. And we learn more about this Saul. And as Saul witnessed this, something must have triggered in his mind also. <clears throat> Verse fifty nine. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I'm sure you've heard that similar phrase before and it's there on the slide. That is Luke 23 verse 46. Luke 23 verse 46, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit as he was on that cross And when Stephen is dying, in verse 60, he says, he asks God to forgive his killers. He asks God to forgive his killers. And this is what Jesus also did. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Amazing, right? Stephen had no writings of any of this. But the Spirit is leading him to emulate Christ. The Spirit is leading him to say the same things And he was slowly transformed into the image of Christ from glory to glory. You know, things have been escalating right, in the book of Acts. Just as it escalated for Stephen personally, from a small argument to a debate, to a judgment, to a legal battle and then mob violence. Just like that, even in the book of Acts, if you see, there were stern warnings initially to the apostles and that is in Acts 4 17 and 21 it moved to arrest and unjust trials so far they were not touched and then it moved to, to the threat of stoning or killing which is in 5 and verse 26 and 33 finally they were flogged we, we saw that a couple of weeks back in 540 they were flogged and yet they were not silent and now it's escalated to death martyrdom you know I, I want to talk of one more um one more uh case of escalation you know uh i'll just put this put this up there if can you all tell me which country this is uh you know don't repeat the answer if it already comes out sorry orissa anywhere anyone else Okay, So, a religious leader of a certain region is killed. And once this, re- this person is killed, this area is full of Christians. There's a huge wave of Christians and Christ- Christian villages here. And when this religious lead- leader is killed, the communist, communist uh, leader in that area says, I have killed him because of commun- commun- communist issues. And the gospel is spread widely there, there's Christianity widely there. And however, because of this, these religious leaders blame the Christians. And when this religious leader's funeral is taken, instead of going through a normal route, they wantedly go through the Christian villages. And when they go through the Christian villages, they start attacking the Christian villages. They attack people, they attack churches, they attack institutions. And in a long... um, a month long or more, 600 villages were attacked. 5,600 houses were demolished, broken, burnt. 395 churches were burnt. Several Christian institutions damaged. Hospitals where these people themselves have used, they they demolished those hospitals. 55,000 people were dispersed. They had to run into the forests and relief camps. Over 40 women were reportedly assaulted. Over 100 Christians who did not recant their faith in Jesus Christ were killed. And some of the reports of the killing were very brutal. Very, very brutal. It was a highly organized attack. Can you imagine raiding 600 villages and demolishing 5,600 houses? Burning 400, close to 400 churches it was a huge organized attack and reports said that this is the largest pogrom first time I heard that word but it's a, a religious massacre the biggest one in 3 centuries biggest one in 3 centuries because of the scale of it and, and I only got one answer but that answer was exactly correct this is Kandamal in Orissa this is only 1400 kilometers from here. It's just one day's drive, 24 hours from here. And this happened so close to us. Persecution is real. None of them expected it. They were all peacefully in their homes or in their fields. Out of nowhere, persecution to the largest degree. You know, church history tells us of all the apostles, apart from John. All of them were martyred because they stood firm for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Peter Peter's, Peter was told by Jesus, he said, Verily, verily, I tell you, when you are younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. And verse 19, Jesus clarifies. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death which Peter would glorify God. Kind of death Peter would glorify God. And Peter in his uh, letter says, in 2 Peter 1.14, he's preparing himself for this. He knows it's coming. Knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me, I must soon leave this earthly earth. That is what NLT says. I will soon leave this earth. He is ready to be taken. And you know, um, church historian Tertullian, he's a, a Christian author and historian. He says that Peter endured death just like the Lord. Endured death just like the Lord. How close was his death to the Lord? Origen, another historian says, in his commentary says, Peter was crucified at Rome with his head downwards with his head downwards as he himself desired to suffer he asked for that not to be crucified straight but you know to be crucified upside down we have ignatius of antioch ignatius of antioch was an influential church leader and a theologian on his way to the martyrdom in in rome he wrote to the church to take no action to prevent his death If they are going to take me to be a martyr, allow them to. For he wished to attain likeness to Christ and to be an imitator of the passion of Christ my God. Polycarp, Polycarp was the bishop of Smyrna. He was the bishop of Smyrna. And when he was entering into the stadium for his trial, as he was walking into the stadium, a voice came from heaven. And it says, Be strong and show yourself a man, O Polycarp." a man of God, O Polycarp. And this voice many people heard. But the proconsul still asked him, deny Christ and, say, and swear your allegiance to Caesar. Polycarp gazed with stern countenance. The same sternness, boldness which Stephen had. Can you see that boldness here? Stern countenance and all the multitude of them there in the stadium. With groans he looked up to heaven. And he said, 86 years I have served him. He never did me any injury. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? You know, These are the, the martyrs for our Lord Jesus Christ. What prompted these early church hist- historians and theologians when they were faced with death to be passive resistors, not aggressive? They could have become aggressive. But they all were passive. To answer this question, we we don't need to look further. We just need to look at Christ, right? He was the perfect example. And all of them just imitated Christ because they understood martyrdom from Christ. You know, Christ at his at His trial, He told them not to fight back. He was silent. You know, His words are burnt deeply into all of them. If anyone strikes you one cheek, turn the other one. Luke 6.29 Do not resist an evil person. Matthew 5.29 Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Matthew 5.10 If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. John 15.20 Stephen was the first martyr, the first Christian martyr. And he died a Christ-like death praying earnestly for his tormentors. Isubius, uh, uh, a church historian, calls Stephen the perfect martyr, thus becoming the perfect prototype for all martyrs to follow. The perfect prototype for all martyrs to follow. You know, persecution to us, nothing, right? We don't see... A, we There's nothing on the scale of persecution we see today we 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 struggle to share the gospel we struggle to to be uh Christ like where we are but you know these these uh these martyrs showed strength and testimony and that is only possible because of the holy spirit you know when we are faced with such persecution will we be strong and we will have a will we have a powerful proclamation before hostile authorities will we be able to stand strong the martyrs relied on jesus's promise and this is a promise for all of us. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at that time, for it is not you speaking, but it is the Holy Spirit. And that's in Mark 13, 11. So just a quick re- recap of uh, what we can learn from Stephen. And from Stephen, we learn that he is a man who loved Christ. He lived like Christ he spoke like Christ and finally he also died like Christ. Stephen stood firm for the gospel and for the name of Jesus Christ. Stephen's sacrifice and death brought powerful encouragement for those around him. You know, it was an encouragement for those around him. We'll probably see that more in the in the chapters to come. And because of his martyrdom, what happened is we'll see you can see that in the in the ne- next verse which is in Acts 8 verse 9 they were dispersed. Because of the persecution, they scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Everyone got scattered except the apostles. What happened because of that? And because of that, the gospel spread to the outer regions of that area. Martyrdom is a real example of how to have victory over Jesus, victory of Christ over death, victory of Christ over death. You know, it changes the way if we really understand this, Christ's death, his humiliation, martyr's death, their humiliation, if we can understand that, we can then understand what it is like to face humiliation for being a Christian, what it is like to face persecution, and what it may be like to ultimately face death because of our testimony and our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, these are wonderful truths on dying in Christ. It's also instructive on how to live for Christ today. Now, there are so many who struggle to have a Bible. There are so many who struggle to meet like this. And we have so much freedom, yet we do not exercise it. So questions I want to leave with you today is, are we ready for the coming hard-hearted persecution? You know, it may not come in 20 years. It may not come in five years. Maybe it will come in five months. We don't know, right? Do the people in Kandamal know? Did they know that this is going to come over them, living a peaceful life? You know, in today's day and age, anything can happen. I hope and pray that we are ready for any persecution that is going to come. Are we ashamed of the gospel? Or can we stand strong in our? you know, stand strong for Christ at our workplace, college, wherever we are, wherever we are placed, can we stand strong? Stephen had a great reputation. He was strong in the faith and wisdom and he had the spirits leading. Do we have all of this to defend our faith? All four of this is very important to defend our faith. There is no point of having faith and wisdom and no reputation. If we have no standing of where we are at, we have no testimony to them. There is no point of having a reputation and faith without any wisdom or the Spirit's leading. All these four are important for us to, ha- to be a strong testimony for Christ. What is the attitude towards our rulers? Towards the situation around us? Do we have an attitude where we can pray for our persecutors? Do we pray for the gospel to soften the hearts of our oppressors? And are we praying for our country? We should. We praying more for our country. I'll just close with just three verses. You now it's just for us to understand. You know, in the New Testament, the early church had so many expos, expositions on persecution, of for the gospel. You know, Christ's disciples would suffer as He did. Believers will be hated, as Christ was hated. Christians are to rejoice so far in the sufferings and to share in the sufferings of Christ. And that is in 1 Peter 4, 12-14. Let me read that out for you. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Do not be surprised when there is a fiery trial to come upon us. As though something strange that were happening. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's suffering. We are sharing in Christ's suffering when we suffer for him like Christ, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When his glory is revealed, even until death. Revelation two ten says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. That you may be tested. Be faithful until death. And I will give you the crown of life. I will give you the crown of life. You know, in both of these, if you look at those, those two phrases which are highlighted in red, you know, it talks about suffering which we will go through, but it also gives us a promise and God's response. And because of that suffering, His glory will be revealed to us. We will enjoy His glory when we are in His presence. And when we get into His presence, we will get the crown of life. The last verse I want to leave with you and we will close with that is you know, when we look at uh, uh, all the phrase, all the verses and especially in Luke 22 verse uh, 69 when the same question is posed, posed to Jesus during his trial in the Sanhedrin, the question posed is are you the Messiah? And again, we have the key phrase there. He says, yes I am. And he says Hereafter, you will see the Son of Man who will sit at the right hand of God. You will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of God. And we know that beyond the seat irritates some more and that's when they take him to, uh, to crucify him. And you know, there are seven times this phrase, seated at the right hand of God comes. Seven times. In Luke, Matthew, Mark, Colossians, Ephesians, and twice in Hebrews. And every time it is seated at the right hand of God. But something struck, struck me here when I, when I saw this. When Stephen sees him and looks up, he says, Look, I see the heavens open. And what does it say there? The Son of Man is standing. How beautiful. Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. Lord Jesus Christ himself stood up to receive Stephen, who was ready to die for him. And this is our Savior. You know, heaven's gates will open in anticipation of a triumphant service. You know, there will be heavenly celebrations. Will there be celebration for me? I doubt it. But for someone who sacrifices much, a martyr for Jesus Christ, I'm sure death will not feel as a heavy price. A martyr's death will be a crown of glory. You know, where our, Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ himself will arise from the right hand of God and receive that martyr, most probably saying, well done, my faithful servant. Well done, my faithful servant. This is my prayer for each one of us today. I pray that our Lord Jesus Christ can look on us and say, well done, my faithful servant. Shall we close in prayer? Lord and Heavenly Father, we... Thank you, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for your God who is risen, Lord Jesus. You died on the cross for each one of us, paid the price and the penalty of my sin and took away that penalty of death from me, O Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we, because we believe in you, we are alive and risen in you. And very soon, Lord, we want to see you face to face, Lord. We know, Lord, that we will be able to come into your presence and praise you and worship you. Pray, Lord, that until then you will find us worthy, Lord. Pray, Lord, we will be of good reputation. We will have a strong faith, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we'll have wisdom in you. And most of all, pray that you'll fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can stand strong, Lord, and testify about who you are to those who do not know, Lord. Pray, Lord, for the coming persecution. We pray, Lord, that you'll allow us to be standing strong. Pray, Lord, that as they Ask us, O Lord, about our Jesus. We will be even more passionate to share about you, even to our oppressors, even if it means to be jailed or beaten or put to death. Pray, Lord, that you will give each one of us that strong passion to claim you as our Lord and Master. We pray, Lord, that you will find us worthy and you will find us worthy to call us your faithful servant. We commit this time into your hands. We ask for all of this in and through name for Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.